Hello and welcome into the Daily Blues Podcast right here on 101ESPN.com. My name is Dan Betlock. Glad you're along with us here on this December 18th, 2019. Blues and Oilers tonight from the Enterprise Center to the top teams in the Western Conference going at it here tonight at the Enterprise Center. Oilers coming in with 42 points. Blues, of course, with 48. The Oilers have kind of been right on the Blues heels all season long of trying to overtake the top spot in the Western Conference. And uh, the Blues have since pulled away a little bit ahead of the Oilers by those six points. Blues coming off an impressive victory, come from behind victory against the Colorado Avalanche, two consecutive come from behind victories, four unanswered goals against the Chicago Blackhawks and four unanswered goals against the Colorado Avalanche. Ahead one nothing against the Avs, then were eventually trailing 2-1 to one before coming back to win 5-2. to two. Blues also have scored four or more goals in their last three games as well, so the scoring has returned. We always talk about those ebbs and flows of the season, and even in those three consecutive losses, the Blues weren't lacking chances. Goaltenders made saves. Bucks hit the post. So I think I'd be way more concerned than those three losses had they not, were they not creating all those high-danger scoring chances in my mind. Uh, they were getting opportunities at the net, just missing, or like I said, keeper was making a save. So it should be a good one tonight. A lot of firepower, dry sidle. Coming in, McDavid, of course, as well. McDavid first in the league with 59 points, 20 goals, 39 assists. These two teams met in November in Edmonton. Blues won that game 5-2. So it should be an interesting rematch here because, with, and Penger's going to mention this because Darren Peng joined Alex Ferrario this morning on the Bernie Show. We're going to play that interview for you here in just a second. But the different types of teams that the Blues have beaten over this three-game winning streak now or this homestand, Vegas, Chicago, Avalanche, the Oilers here tonight. A lot of offensive firepower and a lot of and some of the top teams of the Western Conference has to offer, minus the Blackhawks, of course. So it should be a fun one tonight at the Enterprise Center, which, of course, the game is on 101 ESPN tonight, 6.30 pregame show, Mitsubishi Electric pregame show at 6.30. Uh, puck dropped the uh, Blues hit the ice at 7 o'clock with the BMW of West St. Louis pregame skate. Puck drop just after 7.30, so a little bit later of a start tonight at the Enterprise Center. All right, mentioned Darren Payne joining Alex Ferrario on the Bernie Show, who was filling in for Bernie Nicholas today. Alex was. Uh, that's kind of uh, where they started right now, where these uh, the current home stand, just how well the team is playing. Uh, ability of this team to take down Vegas, Chicago, Colorado, all in this span has been some really solid hockey. Yeah, and, and all different types of games, uh, which which has been fun. I mean, I think when you when you go down to the room as you do every morning, Alex, uh, and you, you can get a different feel when it's a, a Vegas coming into town. There's a you know, there's a there's a business-like atmosphere. You know that Gerard Gallant's going to have his team play just as hard as the Blues play. So it's going to be one of those games. And then you you go into a game like Chicago, and you don't know what you're going to get, but you still have to respect the fact that they've got a lot of skill on that team. And sure enough, you're down 3 nothing with 12 minutes to go and and uh, and come back brilliantly to win it 4-3. to three. You know, the, the last game as well, Colorado, um, it gets your attention. I mean, you're, you're talking about premier players, big, strong, strong players, and you're talking about the top of the West. So uh, and now you turn it right around here tonight, and you've got another team that, that's got to be highly regarded. It's a, it's a team that's been turned around. I think it's got some, some more spark to it under Kenny Holland and Dave Tippett. I think it's got more direction to it right now. And, uh, and obviously, 
if he's not the greatest player in the world today, he's awfully close, and it would be an argument over many cold beers to figure out who is. <laughs> but Connor McDavid's worth the price of admission, um, just like Nate, Nate McKinnon is. And uh, and then you know and and obviously uh, they're in a playoff spot as well, so they're 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 doing extremely well. And you know what I thought was so interesting, Panger, from that game against the Avalanche on Monday night. You know, uh, you talked about the speed of McKinnon, and, and I thought the Blues really limited his opportunities because of their heavy style of hockey. Does it seem to you that they've gotten back to that style of consistently cycling the puck and getting the puck deep, and then continuing to rotate guys off the ice like we saw them do so well last year? Yeah, I, you know, and that's a hard discipline to to maintain every single game. But you you can you can clearly tell. And I know I can when I'm between the benches. I I can clearly tell when they're on their game. I can, I I can tell when they're off and they're trying to find it. But but Craig Berube's a unique coach. Not every coach in the NHL um, insists that his players hold on to pucks in the offensive zone. Um, don't make a uh, an iffy, hopeful, wishful play. Um, make a play that's going to result in a really good scoring chance. So that's why when we monitor um, shots on goal or attempts by the Blues, um, I don't think that's, that that's how we should gauge the Blues. I, I think we should gauge the Blues on offensive zone puck possession time. I mean, that, that would be a number one indicator for me. Um, how many times you know, can they hold on to the pucks down low, support the puck down low, and then play it back to the, the, the point man and create better scoring chances. So, uh, yeah, so I think they're back in the game. The other part of the game, too, Alex, is, and I can hear it clearly when I'm between the benches, the players um, yelling at guys, just the, the backside pressure in the middle of the ice. Um, and that's what, after the game, Nate McKinnon said, it is a frustrating team to play against. And the reason is, is because the Blues do such a great job of coming back through the middle of the ice. First and foremost, they do that, and they push everybody to the outside. And it gets frustrating. If you're a good player and you're on the counter and you think you've got a, a breakaway or you think you got a two-on-one and someone's nipping on your heels, and that's, that's what makes the Blues such a, a real tough team to play against, a frustrating team to play against. Again, we're talking with Darren Pang of Fox Sports Midwest here on our Blues Booth segment on 101 ESPN. Darren joins us on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Panger, we saw Craig Berube make in-game adjustments once again. He put Jordan Cairo down on the fourth line and, of course, scores a goal. I mean, Craig Berube is a wizard when it comes to these in-game adjustments, but the one that strikes me is him still trying to find something to get Shannon Schwartz going. Uh, what do you think it's going to take to kind of get those two going in the eyes of Craig Berube? Ruby. You know, I had a long talk with Braden Shen yesterday, and I, I, I think there were some frustrating times on the bench um, on uh, on the last game between between he and Coach Berube, and um, I think that just comes with, with the kind of length of the season that it is. I, and so I'm going to say that um, what I saw in the last game, uh, these guys are pros, so I'll predict that they'll have a huge game in this one. Um, Alex, I think the one thing that we, we maybe have to see a little bit more from him and maybe from Shen as well is just shooting the puck. I mean, when you're in a position to fire it and you're in a good spot, let it go. And there was a number of times where he had chances to shoot it. He waited for a split second, and it got deflected off a stick and out of play. So that, that nullifies all the attack and all the momentum that you might have in the offensive zone. So I, I'm, I'm going to look at tonight's game as Shen and Schwartz as two players that really get the puck towards the net. In saying that, I really thought the last game that Jaden Schwartz was flying. I loved his start to the game. His first period was excellent, um, but it got halted because I don't think they got the kind of ice time they were expecting um, later on in the game because of some of the changes that the coach made. I was just going to follow up with that, Panger. Do you think the frustration for Schenner's more because of the line changes that have been going on or really the inconsistency in trying to find that right winger for them? 
No, I think I think both of them. I think both for, for sure. Um, you know, when when Vladdy Tarasenko is there and on that line, I mean, let's face it, they get a lot of offensive zone faceoffs. They got they get a lot of chance. A lot, a lot more chance in those situations, a lot more opportunities, and and it's a consistency that you have on the on the right side. Um, you, you just keep firing a, a player in and out, in and out, in and out. It's it's just hard to find that that cohesion together. And um, so, you know, I thought that Jordan Cairo might be a player that sticks there, and maybe he does again. Yesterday's practice, he was back up on that line, but I think in the moment, where Craig, that Craig Berube's job as the coach is to find out how do you win this hockey game now and tonight. And so when he made that change, he put Sunquist there. It worked out well. Uh, oh no, he put Sunquist with O'Reilly, but it, it it worked out well later in the game. I I think he might make that change again and get back with Jordan Cairo and give that line a little bit of spark. Because Cairo didn't pout. Alex, as you well know, he didn't sulk on the bench. He went out there and scored a big goal for the Blues, a pretty goal. And uh, and so I, I think if they go back to that, maybe for a little bit longer, maybe they can find something. The success for this team, Panger, comes when the power play is rolling. And, of course, before they scored those back-to-back power play goals on Monday night, they were in a really, a really big drought for their team. That power play, though, and I heard Shen talk about this the other day, they got into a little bit of desperation mode on that power play where they just felt like, look, we got to score here. We got to push it up the ice, and hopefully they can kind of take that and run with it moving forward. Yeah, I do like that, and I, I made mention of it. It was like they said, "Okay, we're at the end of a period. We've got to get one." Um, not only are we at the end of the period, if we get one, and, and we don't kind of not lollygag, but you know, a lot of times we got a double minor, you can or a five-minute major. You think you've got forever instead of saying, "Well, let's just let's score five goals," or "Let's score." In this case, with a double minor, if you have an opportunity to score two goals, if you score in the first two minutes, the next power play continues on. Uh, if you score at the, you know at three oh one, it doesn't. So I, I thought they they I thought they played it really really well, and even if they didn't score uh, on that first one, I really felt like they they had um, they had them on their heels. But just you know, Colorado didn't know what to do. I think they were expecting them to set up and take their time and work a couple of different set plays. Instead, that puck went right to the net, and that can often offset a penalty kill unit, and I thought it did. All right, that was Darren Pang. Good stuff there from Panger. Of course, you can catch Panger in between the benches on the Fox Sports Midwest broadcast on the TV side. All right, keeping with the Bernie Show and getting a more national perspective of the St. Louis Blues, Alex had a chance to sit down with ESPN's Greg Wyshynski. He is their main hockey writer for ESPN.com. Greg brings a nice uh, in-depth knowledge of the game, what's going on around the league. They started with the St. Louis Blues, and Alex, with his first question, asked him if he still thinks the Blues are the team to beat in the West. Are they, in your eyes, still the best team in the Western Conference? I think you have to say so, especially when you have two of those wins over the Vegas Golden Knights and the Colorado Avalanche, who I believe would be the other two teams in that conversation right now. And and, and like you said, really, really impressive recovery. Um, playing the kind of hockey that you expect the Blues can play, you know, limiting the chances of, of really great offensive teams. I thought the Colorado game was a real statement game, um, but also putting a bunch of goals up on the board themselves. I mean, until proven otherwise, uh, I think the the, the uh, defending champs are the class of, of, of the, the Central Division and of the Western Conference at this point. Um, but, you know, there's going to be teams nipping at their heels, man. You know, the, the Avalanche have been only completely healthy for like a minute, it seems like, this season. Uh, and then the uh, the Golden Knights have certainly uh, turned their season around and are playing some great hockey recently. And then, you know, you have this situation with the Arizona Coyotes now acquiring Taylor Hall. Um, 
defensively, I think one of the best teams in hockey throughout the season in Arizona, they just couldn't really score goals. Uh, you know, 23rd or 24th in goals per game around the same area for their shooting percentage. And already last night, you saw the impact Taylor Hall can have for, on a team's offense on a, on a single play. So they're a team to certainly watch as well. You know, I was really surprised when, when I saw the trade go down for Taylor Hall. Not so much because I wasn't expecting it, because I think everybody in the NHL was expecting it, Greg. But for what the New Jersey Devils got in return for Taylor Hall, I mean, three prospects, but three guys that aren't expected to be top 10 you know, players in the National Hockey League or anything like that, and two conditional draft picks. Honestly, I, I think Eritrea won the trade more than New Jersey did. Possible. I mean, I, I still think that when you look at the Western Conference, as, as much as, of, of praise as I just heaped on the uh, the Coyotes, um, it's still kind of very much in flux. I mean, by no means are they sure at a playoff spot. And the nightmare scenario, if you're a Coyotes fan, is that they <laughs> go out and you know spend three prospects and two picks on a guy that's only there for a few months and doesn't result in a playoff spot. And then, you know, he's off to the next destination is at least the expectation. Uh, and the devils end up with, with a lottery pick protected, but, but still a lottery pick. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there's, there's still a chance this couldn't work out, but as far as the devils and the return they got, um, from my understanding, they were, they were angling to try to get a top defensive prospect from somebody. They weren't finding it. Um, the the player uh, Kevin Ball that the Coyotes offered up the Devils figured was going to be the best defensive prospect they could pull for Taylor Hall, um, knowing that they also wanted to get uh, a couple of draft picks in the deal as well. Uh, the rental the rental return is really not what it used to be. Um, you know, you look at the, the the trade Vegas made last year with Ottawa for Mark Stone. Um, that return was quite hefty, but that return was for a player that they immediately signed. Right. Uh, the Matt Duchesne trade last year with Ottawa, that was a, a pretty hefty return from uh, Columbus to, to, uh, to Ottawa, but that was for a player that they thought they could re-sign. Um, I'm not convinced that Arizona thinks they're going to re-sign Taylor Hall. They're going to try to do their best to convince him to stay but it may not necessarily happen. And the rental market just is what it is in the NHL these days. Well, and you know, that was the other thing too, and why I was so relieved, I guess I should say, that the Blues really didn't dive into those waters because you don't want to put yourself into camp hell. And look, if you you can't re-sign Taylor Hall, I don't think it's worth spending the money, regardless if he gets you into the playoffs or not. Now, maybe for the Coyotes it works, but on St. Louis's side, you're looking for a Stanley Cup. You're not looking just to get back into the playoffs. But I will say this, Greg, we know that Doug Armstrong is very aggressive when it comes to bettering his team and knows how wide this window is open. So with that being said, and of course, you know, we are in December. There's still a couple of months away before you hit the trade deadline. But do you see Doug Armstrong being aggressive moving forward this season or kind of sitting pat like he did last year with the team that he has? No, I think he'll be aggressive. I mean, we already saw earlier this season with the Falk trade uh, that he, he doesn't have the propensity to sit in his hands. And, uh, and look at this team and think that all the pieces are, are where they need to be. Um, there are probably still some, some moves that he could make, um, in particular to get the kind of player that, that, let's say, Pat Maroon was for them last year in the playoffs. I mean, a guy who can score some dirty goals when you need them um, in, in, in a tough postseason series and really maybe invigorate the, uh, the bottom part of your lineup. Um, 
that's kind of, I mean, that's just throwing something out there. Right. He's got other designs for the team, but I think he's he's clearly somebody who's going to be aggressive, in making the team better. And you know, when it comes to the Blues and Taylor Hall, I I, I will say that I I think there were two separate markets for Hall. Uh, there was a clear rental market, uh, maybe with some teams that thought they could retain him, um, but but also teams that certainly thought that in the short term he was going to bolster their Stanley Cup chances. And then he has an entirely different market of teams in the summer that. I think might explore the opportunity to potentially uh, sign the guy just because they didn't want to give up assets in season to get him. And uh, there was certainly an, an affinity from, from Doug Armstrong for Hall and uh, the, a sniffing around of, uh, of a potential trade. So you do wonder, and a lot of this is obviously contingent on what happens with Alex Pietrangelo this summer, whether they might revisit that in free agency. Um, having not necessarily the appetite to give up assets to get him in, in season. Yeah, no doubt about it. Greg, final one for you. You know, we, we talked at the beginning of the season and preseason of the question marks on this Blues team, and Jordan Bennington was one of those. And looking at what he has done, and now a sample size of this season, and of course last year, I believe he's at 60 wins already in his NHL career. What are your thoughts on Jordan Bennington now that we're two, three months into this season? Yeah, there's not a lot of uh, concern about him uh, after the run that he had last year that it was an aberration. I mean, you know, 16-6-4, and four, uh, his quality starts are around 6-15 last time I checked, which is a, a metric that says, you know, what is this guy doing for you every time he goes on the ice? Is he giving you the kind of start that you need in order to put the team in a position to win? And, uh, again, the, the, for being as good as the Blues are, uh, I think he's also roughly around seven or eight goals of saved above average, meaning like if you threw an average NHL goalie on the Blues, how would they do? Well, he's he's punching above that weight too. So very much the real deal, very much impressive. And uh, and and look, I mean, let's uh, let's hope that this was a symptom of the show me contract that he and Doug Armstrong figured out for Biddington, um, and uh, and not. Uh, you know, giving him the, the big old fat and happy eight-year extension or anything like that. I mean, I think both sides, when I talked to them earlier this season, were um, hopeful that uh, the way that they worked out the contract situation would be a nice carrot in front of them. And, and certainly he's been extraordinarily motivated this season so far to not rest on his laurels from last year. And the results have been pretty startling. Good stuff there from Wyshynski. Greg, always gracious with his time. Always text back even when he can't do it. So Greg, Greg one of the good guys in the media realm that's for sure all right that's going to wrap it up for today's daily blues podcast on 101espn.com we've got the blues and oilers tonight on 101 espn tune in at 6 30 puck drop at 7 30 remember i always say go see a ball game often follow your local teams it really is fun for the entire family dan betlock signing off on 101espn.com